0: Well, good evening. It is wonderful to be celebrating with you tonight, all things Christmas. And what an evening it has been so far. My name is Josh and I'm one of the clergy here at St. Nick's. And it's great to be speaking to you this evening on a thrill of hope and the readings that we are hearing tonight. Christmas has well and truly arrived, hasn't it? I hope that tonight's celebrations are helping you get in the festive spirit. Because there's so much to love about Christmas, isn't there? This week, Bristol Live reported on the top 20 most magical things about Christmas by poll. They included 58% of the, the people polled said that it was being together with family. That's nice, isn't it? 50% were maybe a bit closer. They said sending gifts to loved ones. But I reckon most people meant receiving gifts from loved ones. I don't know about you. 39% of people said seeing the Christmas lights twinkle around the house. 38% of people said the excitement of Christmas Eve. 33% of people said the waft of turkey through the house. 29% of people said watching Christmas movies in your pajamas. And 18% of people said that the most magical thing about the whole Christmas season was the Boxing Day sandwich. Now, I can relate to that. What I find absolutely criminal, though, as a proud resident of the Southwest, is that Mold Cider didn't even make the top 20. What is that about? All of that aside, there is so much to be excited about at Christmas, isn't there? And I hope that you're feeling full of all the joy of the season. As I thought about this, I thought about a conversation that I had with my grandfather a few years ago. My grandfather was one of the coolest guys. I grew up with just one set of grandparents, so my maternal grandfather and I were very close. He was like a proper greaser biker, you know, like not the cheesy American kind, like the cool British kind, like leather jacket, like slick back hair. He bought his first Harley Davidson from some American soldiers as they were pulling out of France at the end of World War II. I mean, how cool is that? And a, a few years ago, his health was beginning to decline. He was coming towards the end of his life. Um, he was really old. And so I went to say goodbye to him. And those, those situations, they're really emotionally charged, aren't they? And I was sat by him And at one point my grandmother went out of the room and my grandfather turned to me and he said, Josh, I've got something I need to tell you. And I said, okay, yeah, you can tell me. And he said, I need to get this off my chest. I said, okay. He said, when I was a young guy, I needed my motorbike to get around for my multiple jobs that I was doing. He always had multiple jobs. And I needed to be at work to know to feed the family, all that kind of thing. But my bike had broken down, and I needed this specific spanner to get the casing off to see what was going wrong with the fuel pump. Anyway, I was in this hardware store, and I was looking at the spanner that I needed, and I knew I couldn't afford it. So what I did was I quickly put it inside my jacket pocket, and I quickly walked out. He said my heart was pounding, I'd never done anything like this before and just as the shop door was about to close behind me, I heard the shopkeeper shout. He said blind panic ensued, I just legged it. He just ran down the high street as fast as he could. He was absolutely pacing it and he said, I turned, I snatched a look behind me just to check, like people weren't staring at me, why was I running down the street? And he said, and there was the shopkeeper running after me. He said, I didn't know what to do, so I just ran for it full pelt, as fast as I could, out of the town center, into like the domestic areas of the town. And he said, he, he just ran. He didn't know what else to do, kept going till he got to like this row of terraced houses. And you know, those little like tunnels in between terraced houses where you go through to the garden. He said he ducked down one of those, ran down the alleyway and crouched down at the end of the alleyway underneath what he thought was the kitchen window of the house. He said, I just needed to get my breath back. My heart was pounding. My heart was in my throat. I had that horrible acid feeling that if you're like me and you never go running, you get when you do run. Don't know what that is. But he had that and he was just waiting for that all to die down. And waiting and he said he was there for like five minutes and eventually he like he'd recovered himself he got up he turned to go looked down the alley and at the other end of the alley was the shopkeeper so he said he spun around ran across the garden realizing that he was caged in by fence on all sides so there was nothing for it leapt up the garden fence and tried to scramble over and he said if I could just get over I knew if I could get over he wouldn't be able to follow me he was a big guy and I'd be free He said, just as I was getting over the fence, I felt his hands grab my ankle. He said, I was thrashing to get over the fence, and he was just pulling me down. I was desperate to get over, and he was just pulling my leg, just like I'm pulling yours now, Josh. (laughs) With that, he laughed and went to sleep. Why? Am I telling you this story, other than for the pure joy of being on the giving out end rather than the receiving end? Well, along with all the joy, all the great stuff, all the lovely bits of the Christmas season, I often can't help but have a slight twinge of that feeling when it comes to Christmas. All that build-up, all that anticipation, and not quite the delivery that we expected in the tension. All the hype and not quite the reality we anticipated. All those songs about peace on earth while our news feeds are full of war. All those warm fuzzy adverts filled with purchasing expectation while the cost of living crisis continues to rise. All those wholesome family gatherings with the palpable rising family tension. All those good smells, and the turkey's actually a bit dry, let's be honest. Every turkey is always a bit dry. The only good one I've ever had is when I literally injected the thing of bacon, the turkey will be dry. In O Holy Night, a carol that we're going to sing later this evening, we hear the words, A thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. Maybe you get that twinge of weariness. In amongst the joy. Maybe you can identify with that weary world. Maybe you feel weary. So, where is this thrill of hope this Christmas? The hope lays in the child in the manger. In our first reading, we heard today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and laying in a manger. I'm sure no one was expecting Savior to be followed by baby in a manger. I have a 20-month-old, and I will level with you. He has not once helped me out of a jam. (laughs) And yet, this is no ordinary baby, the passage asserts. He is the Messiah, we heard. What does that mean? It means God has come close. God, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one whose hands molded the earth, who formed the universe, who formed each of us in our mother's wombs and knows the number of hairs upon our head. He has come close. Not content to be far off, God has drawn near. He entered the world he created into the mess and the mundane he has come. In our final reading of the evening, we will hear these words. The word became flesh and in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He hasn't simply come, but he has become. He has become flesh, taking on the very nature of our humanity, entering into the full human experience that he might know you, experience all that you experience, feel all that you feel, to know your pain, to know your frustration, to know your hopes and your longings, and to meet you in each one of them because this child is not going to remain a child in a manger as if it wasn't enough that the God of the whole universe is coming close to the broken and hurting world. It doesn't end there. He's going to grow. He's going to go through the highs and lows of life with a grace that this world had never known. He's going to breathe life everywhere. He walks. He'll teach. He'll heal. He'll release. He'll state his purpose as a beautiful liberator. That he has come in the power of the Spirit to bring good news to the poor. That he's come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. That he has come to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That he's come as son, as friend, as savior, as king as God himself. But it won't end there, because he knows that the sickness in his creation is going to need more than an example. It's going to need a savior. It is why he has come. The cross of Jesus stands at the center point of all human history. The death and resurrection of Jesus stands as a testament that God is for you. He came for you. He lived for you. He died for you. He was resurrected for you, that you might know hope in him, that you might know new life in him through relationship with him. From the womb to the tomb and on into new life, he is for you. This news changed everything for me. As a young man, I had looked for my hope In all the promises of a Friday night all the hedonism all the excess doing what I want whenever I want I'd looked for my hope in the eyes of others the approval of my peers I'd looked for my hope in relationship after relationship I'd looked for my hope in self-reliance and being comfortable And at three o'clock in the morning, one night in bed, weighing up all the dissatisfaction I felt with the offerings of this weary world and how weary doing what I want when I want had ended up making me, I found my hope in an encounter with Jesus. I can't really explain it still now, 10 years on. It was kind of like feeling your heart beat for the first time. But I found my hope in an encounter with the risen Jesus, an encounter with the God who, as the Bible says it, loved me and gave himself for me. That new hope, that new life, that experience changed everything for me. That is the invitation that we celebrate this Christmas. That is the invitation extended to you this Christmas. That is where this thrill of hope can be felt, can be known, can be touched and relied upon this Christmas. As our second reading said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A weary world can rejoice, for to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. Why don't I finish with a prayer? I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know um, whether you're familiar with that hope. Maybe you'd call yourself a Christian, but you feel that hope slipping away. Maybe you've never heard any of this before. You've never been in a church before. You've never experienced that hope before, that relationship with God that I spoke of. Well, maybe if that's you and maybe you want to echo this prayer in your hearts that I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came for me. All those years ago, that story that I'm oh so familiar with. Lord, I thank you that it was for me. I thank you for the hope that you bring. I thank you for the hope that your birth, your life, your death, and your resurrection can bring me right here, right now, in Bristol, in my life. Thank you. I'm sorry for the times that I have contributed to the brokenness of this world. For the times that I have added to the weariness of this weary world. Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. Right here, right now, where I am, I thank you that you're alive, that you are living, you're active. I can experience a relationship with you. And I invite you into my life now that I might know that relationship. I might know that new life and that hope that comes from relationship with you. The God who loved me And gave himself for me. I pray that I would know your hope in my life this Christmas. Amen.